Um, permission. You want to come up? Grab this. Oh, she was waiting. I didn't know you had to make an announcement. Oh, I didn't. Okay. I'm sorry. So, well, we are going to open the Bible and look for Jesus together. So we're going to be in Numbers 18. Now, see, I'm back on track. I know what I'm doing now. Um, and Chris is going to read for us from verse 8 through 32. So we'll end of chapter 18 of the book of Numbers as we continue in our study. If you have a Bible, that's the place to be. If you don't, you can look on the screen. Or if you have the YouVersion Bible app and you're connected to the Internet by your phone carrier, not from us, evidently. Um, you can find Reservoir Church in the events section. All of the notes and scripture will be there for you as well. Not only will Chris read the scripture, but she'll pray for us. And uh, we need it today. All right, hear the word of the Lord from Numbers 18. Okay, um, <clears throat> Numbers 18, verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron. Behold, I have given you charge of the contributions made to me. All the consecrated things of the people of Israel, I have given them to you as a portion and to your sons as a perpetual due. This shall be yours of the most holy things reserved from the fire. Every offering of theirs, every grain offering of theirs, and every sin offering of theirs, and every guilt offering of theirs, which they render to me, shall be most holy to you and to your sons. In a most holy place shall you eat it. Every male may eat it, it is holy to you. This also is yours, the contribution of their gift, all the wave offerings of the people of Israel. I have given them to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it, all of the best of the oil and all the best of the wine and of the grain, the first fruits of what they give to the Lord, I give to you the first ripe fruits of all that is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, shall be yours. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. Everything that opens the womb of all flesh, whether man or beast, which they offer to the Lord, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And their redemption price, at a month old, you shall redeem them. You shall fix at five shekels in silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 geras. But the firstborn of a cow, or the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar, and shall burn their fat as a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But their flesh shall be yours as the breast that is waved and the right thigh are yours. All the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord I give to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and for your offspring with you. And the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance. In return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting, so that the people of Israel do not come near the tent of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall do the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. 
It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and among the people of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, you shall speak and save the Levites, when you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. And your contribution shall be counted to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the winepress. So you shall also present a contribution to the Lord from all your tithes which you receive from the people of Israel. And from it, you shall give the Lord's contribution to Aaron the priest. Out of all the gifts to you, you shall pre present every contribution due to the Lord from each. Its best part is to be dedicated. Therefore, you shall say to them, when you have offered from it the best of it, then the rest shall be counted to the Levites as produce of the threshing floor and as produce of the winepress. And you may eat it at any place, you and your households, for it is your reward in return for your service in the tent of meeting. And you shall bear no sin by reason of it when you have contributed the best of it, but you shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, lest you die. Lord, thank you again for your word, and thank you for all of the things, Lord, that you have been teaching us um, from numbers, Lord, even though it's complicated for us to understand, God, um, we thank you when you, you share your your wisdom and your purpose with us, Lord, and I, I pray that you would um, use Jonathan today, even with uh, helping with his voice, Lord, and we, we pray that you would just open our ears to understanding and our hearts Lord, to receive what it is that you're going to instruct us in today. Lord, we pray a blessing upon all the people here and online. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. So God is a God who gives. We serve a God who gives. And it's really good news for us. We're approaching Memorial Day, which is tomorrow, and I'm always thankful. So Derry and Judy are on like this grand tour of the Northwest. They may even be on their Alaskan cruise at this moment. But every year ahead of Memorial Day and Veterans Day and Armed Services Day, Derry will post a post to remind you that Armed Services Day is for those that still wear the uniform. Veterans Day is for those who hung up the uniform. And Memorial Day is to honor those who never got out of uniform. So there's some uh, dispute about the origins of Memorial Day, but by and large, we agree that three years after the Civil War, on May 5th, 1868, the head of an organization of Union veterans called the Grand Army of the Republic, the GAR, right, established Decoration Day as a time for the nation to decorate the graves of the war dead with flowers. And it started by Major General John A. Logan, and he declared it should be on May 30th every year. And it's believed that that date was chosen because flowers would be in bloom all over the nation at the time. 
One historian says, by the end of the 19th century, Memorial Day ceremonies were being held on May 30 throughout the nation, and state legislatures passed proclamations designating the day, and the Army and Navy adopted regulations for proper observance at their facilities. And it was not until after World War I, however, that the day was expanded to honor those who have died in all American wars. And this tripped me out that it wasn't until 1971 that Memorial Day was declared a national holiday by an act of Congress. And though it's often still called Decoration Day, it was then also placed on the last Monday in May to be in accordance with other federal holidays. And General Logan's orders at the founding of Decoration Day or what's become Memorial Day for his post was to decorate the graves in 1868, quote, with the choicest flowers of springtime. And he urged that we should guard their graves with sacred vigilance. Let pleasant paths invite the coming and going of reverent visitors and fond mourners. Let no neglect, no ravages of time testify to the present or to the coming generations that we have forgotten as a people the cost of a free and undivided people. And it's a solemn day. It is to be Uh, a day of reverent reflection on the ultimate sacrifice that people have given to protect the Republic of the United States. So a, a grateful, thankful nation marks this as Memorial Day. But I was thinking this week that I wonder if some future living, off in the far off future archaeologists might have trouble getting to that meaning of Memorial Day from how we celebrate it today. The expression of the modern experience of Memorial Day. I can just think of archaeologists trying to figure it out. And they're like, was it a national holiday for car sales? Right. Or did it simply mark the beginning of summer? For Americans? Was it this celebratory time of time off or the end of school? And what began as it did has become for really far uh, too many of us just a self-focused, casual, extra day of rest that we mark not with the choices of flowers put on graves, but with the choices cuts of meats put on our grills. Right? Now, these things are not wrong. I and mean, we should enjoy them. We should enjoy the break that we get from our labors. We should enjoy time with family. I just wonder how clo- closely they match the meaning of the day. Now, we might think back and get to the meaning of the day and reflect and honor those that have given all. And I suppose, though, we could take that same lens of evaluation and evaluate any number of important days or even important truths that we cling to and find plenty of shifts from what was established to what is actually experienced now. And even those truths that are meant to define us can get warped over time so that we actually end up missing the point of them, right? We might go about life and lose the joy that is to be in the good news of Jesus, this gift of grace, his forgiveness, and we end up making it about earning our place in heaven or with God, right? Living up to the standard of perfection, or at least our definition of it, when we lose the meaning as established. We end up with self-satisfaction that becomes our way and it feels good for a while when we can achieve it, but then it wears us down and it leaves us without any hope in the end. Because we can't live up. And 
Maybe we read about the miraculous in Scripture and we see how the Holy Spirit gifted the church, but we become suspicious of that type of work. And instead, we prioritize our own comfort or we allow personal experience or usually just the lack of personal experience uh, in that realm to tell us that these things are just not for today. So we avoid them. Or we come to a text on giving, on generosity, and then we do one of two things. We well up with pride because we're pretty sure we beat out the next guy in the church in our giving, or we check our wallet. Do you ever do that when you're in a crowded place? You're constantly checking your wallet, you know, wherever you keep it. I keep mine in my front pocket. I never keep it in my pocket when I preach because you might come get it, right? But we do that, right? We do, oh, pastor's talking about money. Where's my wallet? The self becomes the priority, and then we're likely missing the point when we're to submit to these texts as models for us, as our guides. And that's where we are today. Now, you, you may be in this, I mean, you're unlikely the crowd that is daydreaming about what they're going to do on Memorial Day because you're actually in church today. But I think there is actually for us, regardless of what you're thinking about at this moment, a correcting balm that is in Numbers 18 that could serve us actually for all of life. It'd be tremendously helpful if we get in line with what God is communicating to his people and about himself in this text. And the truth is that we serve a God who gives. There's just kind of two movements this morning. First, a cycle of provision and then the person of provision. So we want to start with the cycle of provision. I promise to draw a little bit more to that cycle, more than just words. But we have to understand that every other deity takes. Only Yahweh gives. Right? Just think of it. Before any other God, there is this call that if you just perform in a certain way and you do everything just perfectly to that ascribed idol's desires, then maybe, just maybe, they will act on your behalf. But Yahweh, in the backdrop of history and how people have worshipped different deities, is vastly different. And that's the story that is actually being told through the nation of Israel, even in their wilderness wandering here in Numbers. And if we read wrong uh, in the scriptures, we can assume that he just works in the same way as every other deity. Because we see sacrifice and obedience, they're constant themes, aren't they, in Scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New. But it's always ordered differently than we expect, because all the sacrifice and obedience in Scripture is responsive. It's done because of what he gives to us. And here we see more of that. And in the whole cycle of provision and giving for Israel, we see that he is a God who gives, and it comes through this instruction to Aaron as the priest. And we've finally reached a section of numbers where there is no grumbling in the text today. It's taken us a little bit uh, to get there. No sin of the people at this moment because we've just come off that, haven't we? God has made clear that the priesthood is made up of Aaron and his sons, and they are responsible for protecting the congregation bringing worship before the Lord. This is their role and to be their role alone. But then they're also given charge of the contributions. 
We see this in verse 8. And then the Lord, Yahweh, spoke to Aaron. Behold, I have given you charge of the contributions made to me. All the consecrated things of the people of Israel, I have given them to you as a portion and to your sons as a perpetual due. Now we're going to take it this cycle in reverse order, but I think we can see a cycle that begins with God, goes to Israel, who gives to the Levites, gives to the priests, who give back to God. Does that make sense, that cycle? Working in that way? So God gives. It starts with God. He has provided a promise. He says, I'm going to give you a land as a people. You're going to have fields to harvest crops, to feed your people, and it is to be for their flourishing. He will certainly feed them in the wilderness, but this is forward-looking hope that when they come into the land, that all of the fruit of the land will be given for his glory and for their good. And then Israel is to give back from all that they've received in God. And maybe you noticed it when God was speaking to Aaron and to Moses in this section of Scripture. He says, give back your first fruits, essentially a tithe as a declaration of commitment to Yahweh as the God who gives. He didn't ask for all of it from them, but he just asked those first best things Consecrate to the Lord, give over to the Lord as a witness that he gives to his people. He can be trusted to provide. One writer says throughout the ancient Near East, it was a common practice for kings to tax their people in the amount of a tithe of their produce. And often that income went to support royal officials or temples. And the tithe in Numbers 18 seems to function somewhat like these royal taxes of the ancient Near East. And the Lord was Israel's great king, and the tithe was an annual obligation to give 10% of their produce for the regular support of Levites, who are the servants of the king. And the giving of tithes and first fruits was thus an obligation of the covenant relationship between the Lord and his people. So this is what's going on. Instead of an earthly king, they have a divine king in Yahweh who provides for them and they give back. The firstborn of the cattle are provided for him. The grain that is harvested, the first tenth of that, the grapes that are pressed into wine, the choices of the fruit are committed to the Lord. And this becomes the portion then for the Levites. And it's their inheritance. And we learn since they as a tribe will not get a portion of the land when they move into the promised land, that their work is in their tabernacle with worship. So God provides for them through the congregation as a reward for the service that they do. So instead of flocks to care for and fields to manage, they do the work of ministry. And so Israel in their first fruits giving is providing for the Levites, but then the Levites tithe off their tithes. And in verse 27, your contribution shall be counted to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the wine press. So all the stuff that Israel gives to the Levites is to act as if the Levites had harvested it and put it through their own wine press. It's their first fruits that then will go onward to the priests, to Aaron and his descendants who sacrificed before the Lord 
but then still give back to God of the choicest of that which they've received. I think there's a few things for us to recognize in this cycle. First, it's that God is behind all of it. That everything that flows in here, that arrives, all the provision that anyone gives from, is all from God. The land, the produce, the flourishing that creates first fruits comes from Yahweh. And then the second thing we want to see is that he provides for his people through the community of his people. Where he can directly make it rain bread from heaven or have water flow from rocks. Here he is caring for everyone in Israel through each other. It's his tribes helping another tribe, helping the priests that will serve the people by worshiping before the Lord. So God's behind it all. He uses the community to provide. And then everyone is to be generous in giving the best of what they receive. It's their inheritance, their provision is given over back to the Lord for his glory and purpose. So the cycle of blessing begins and ends with the Lord. The Lord instructs his people in the proper sowing and reaping principles as And then next, the the people obediently sow and reap, and he blesses the community of faith with an abundant harvest of flocks and fields. The firstborn, the first fruits, and the first ripe produce are consumed by the priests after portions have been sacrificed to God. So tithes and offerings are then also presented to the holy and faithful Levites for their provision as additional portions are rendered to God. Then the Levites present a best of the best tithe for their received tithes to support the Aaronic priesthood, who then offer additional portions to God in thanksgiving and pray. So there's... No stop to this cycle. It just keeps going that they give back what they've been given and God continues to give to them. And so when we look at this and we think of, well, how are we to relate to this? We're not in the wilderness. We are not camp people. Right. The thinking of the church as Israel, I think we can infer a few things that we should first see everything we have as God's is coming from him and The created order declares it. Psalm 104 is this great picture that just follows the creation narrative. And in verses 14 and 15, the psalmist says, You cause the grass to grow for livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. So even that we have the opportunity to to work the ground, to have a harvest is a gift from the Lord that he causes to happen. And it's all his and he gives to us. What a grace that is for us. We can also learn that we should prioritize first fruits rather than what remains. Now, you need to understand the New New Testament does not maintain a tithe, quote unquote, but says that giving is to be in proportion to what you have. Like all through the New Testament, when the church is founded and they communicate about giving to the church, they said it's in proportion to what you have, not necessarily a tithe. But the principle, I think, that we see in Numbers 18 remains for us that what is first is best. 
And so when we live under that guideline, it sets the tone for our budget, for our whole life of receiving from the Lord and giving for his glory. It becomes the priority, the first thing we do. And I know it's difficult. Even this week, I fell into the trap of thinking, well, what is left over that we can give? And I, I sent John Economides, who helps lead our finance team, I sent him a text we're at the advanced conference, and they were going to have their yearly offering, which they always do, but we never remember that it's going to happen every year at this event. So we never talk about it ahead of time because it's all my fault. It's not the other elders' fault. But I, I sent the text, and it didn't say this, but it was essentially, John, is there anything left that we'd already said we were going to give to them, that we could give to them for this offering? What a terrible way to approach it, Right? And I'm really excited about the offering. Not only this year is going to go to church planning, but also going to seed work of caring for kids with special needs in all of our churches in Advance West. So it's super stoked about that. Did we say stoked? Or did I just make myself old? Okay. Old? Okay. Gen Z. Okay, Zoomer. Right? So do you get that? That instead of saying, well, what do I have left? We start with, what have I received? And I give from that place. But more than all of that, more than recognizing, as you should, that everything you have is from God and that we can still give the first of what he's given us back to him for his glory. I think there's something that is a higher or maybe even a deeper layer at play here. In verse 20, we hear this. And the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. This has maybe been used by some people as a proof text to keep the pastor poor, right? Well, God's your your portion, pastor, right? But that's certainly, you have to understand that is not, and I'm, I, I like be, I'm not poor at all, but I'm well cared for. So this is not a criticism of our church at all, but it happens in other places. Like I've had a friend even in the last month that it was, it was getting difficult for him to care for his family and went to the church's financial team and said, this is our situation. And their response back was, it's good for you to be desperate before the Lord. And it's like, it's good for you to have an updated resume, brother. Right. But that's not me. I do not feel that at all, right? But that, and that's not what's happening here. Like God's not saying, I'm not going to give you anything, so you have to rely on what the people give you. It's better than that. God wanted his servants to be more than adequately maintained, one writer says. As long as his people were faithfully honoring the Lord, they would also honor his servants and provide abundantly for their financial needs. But it's more about need here or even participation of the people giving because this is pointing to something wonderful. And it's a sign of the reality that there is something that is better than fields and territory. There is something that is better still than the bread of the finest grains will make or more delicious than any wine press could produce. That's for Yahweh to be your portion. The God who gives as yours, not to control or abuse, but to be in relationship with. And it's not something that money can buy. It's something to receive that then makes you generous in return. A treasure that is beyond your dreams. 
So this is not a negative for Aaron and his descendants. This is a glorious thing that Yahweh is to be their inheritance. Yahweh is their portion. He is all they need. And here's where it gets fun for us in 2023, because what was reserved for Aaron and the priesthood is now for all who believe in Jesus. Right. So then we get to the person of provision. What color do I want to make my treasure chest? This is treasure. What goes inside? Money. Lots of money. Jewelry, necklaces, right? Think of Goonies. When they find the ship, what all is there? Rubies. What's the red colored gemstone? Any? It's a ruby. That's a ruby. What's, uh, what's blue? Sapphire. Sapphire. But they're always like squares, aren't they? Is there an orange one? Amber. Who said it? Who said it? Somebody. Okay, so it's a lot. It's, it's treasure, right? You get it. <laughs> Some of you are like, no, Pastor, put a new bike in there. Or put an iPad. I don't know. What do you, what do you put a, a watch, right? A dog. That's it. A dog. Put a dog in. That's your treasure, right? So Yahweh, as their portion, is revealing himself as the person of provision for his people. And God, in numbers, in the wilderness, provides for Israel as they are heading to the land that will be their provision. But in Christ, for us on our wilderness journeys, God provides himself to pay the wages of sin and death. And he completely defeats death and becomes for us our portion, the inheritance for all who believe in him. So Jesus is our provision. The old models don't have to stand anymore because we still receive from God, but what we receive is himself, all of him for us. And when the need for relationship with our creator is an unblemished sacrifice when the need is perfect righteousness. He gives himself for us. Where the world says, look to yourself for what you need to survive, Jesus instead says, look to me. There's a great commentary called The Theology of Work that helps us think about like how are we vocationally involved in the renewal of all things. And they say Jesus teaches that living in God's kingdom means looking to God rather than human effort as the ultimate source of the things we need for life. Our labor is not optional, but neither is it absolute. Our labor is always a participation in the grace of God's provision. Everything we have is from God and everything we need is in God because he gives of himself and then we give back because he gives us everything. Paul talking to the Philippian churches and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory in Christ Jesus. So the whole earth and everything that it produces is the Lord's, as the psalmist declares in Psalm 24. The Lord has freely given eternal life to us at the cost of his son, Jesus. We are a people who have been redeemed at far more costly a price than five shekels of silver. Nothing less than the precious blood of Jesus. And what is more, the Lord is not only the inheritance of the priests and the Levites, but the inheritance of all the saints as well. And the Lord has prepared a heavenly home for us and he gives us 
this home as a free gift of His grace. He is better than everything else. When Jesus wants to talk about it, I love it, Matthew 13, you know this little parable, you've probably heard me preach about it before, but he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, we see the first half and we rightly say the kingdom of heaven is like this. It is treasure that is hidden in the field, right? And so then we are the man that gives everything we are to purchase this field, to get in on this kingdom, to experience this grace and goodness, that we give it all over because Jesus is our treasure. And then what we usually do, the second half of this description, we think that, that it works the same way, that I'm the merchant going after the, pool, the pearl, right? But it's so profound. Like, this is completely not in the notes. This is, this is fresh from yesterday morning. Ooh, this is from Alka-Seltzer plus cold medicine. Maybe. I didn't have that till afternoon. But in the second part, the kingdom of heaven is like what? A merchant in search of what? Pearls. You are not the merchant. Jesus is the merchant. You are the pearl. And he gives everything of who he is to buy you, to redeem you by his work on the cross. So that you will notice him as treasure and go after that field that is his kingdom. What a, a grace that is for us. What a freeing reality. One, that there is great treasure to be found in Jesus. And he gives of himself because you are his great treasure. He'll give everything up. Yes, somebody. <laughs> Woo! And oh, how I want to be the one who finds Jesus as the ultimate treasure. Do you want that? Like that. I've tried to find treasure in all kinds of worthless things. And Jesus is the only one that truly satisfies that all that I have, that I would give back to him because of all that he's given of himself for me. Psalm 16 says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. No matter what happens, no matter what our experience, if we're part of his kingdom, if we are that pearl that he gave everything to buy, to redeem, we have seen the lines fall in pleasant places for us because he is our beautiful inheritance. The New Testament uses the language of inheritance to then describe eternal life in the kingdom through faith in Jesus. We see it in Ephesians 1. And a couple other places, but I didn't add those in. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Happy Pentecost Sunday, church. 
the gift of the Spirit, the sealing of our inheritance. First fruits. I'm a, it probably won't help Julie. Julie's trying. Maybe it'll get better if I give him water. <laughs> but thank you. This then becomes like, for us, a longing, right? A prayer, a, a lifestyle. That we would know of the inheritance that we have in Christ, that the Spirit would seal that in us, that we pursue it, that Jesus would be my portion, my inheritance forever. Because, friends, anything less than that misses the point of what has been established. We serve a God who gives, and He gives Himself for you. I know it's like we, Pastor, somebody said to me, I don't even know who it was. You know, you have so many conversations in a week, you don't remember who it was. People are like, do you get tired of preaching so many weeks in a row? I was like, I don't feel tired. Maybe it was just you. Maybe we're on our date. Do you remember? I don't know. It was a beautiful person, whoever it was, so it had to have been Stacy. Whereas like, it's actually, and I have, to be truthful, I've been in seasons where I'll preach for like 37 weeks or something, and I'm just exhausted, right? And... But this has not been one of those seasons. I don't even know how many weeks I'm going on. But then I said to this person who may or may not have been my wife, when you preach the same sermon every week, it's not so hard. Right? And it is. And it's like, well, don't we know that Jesus sacrificed himself for us? Yeah, but I forget it by Tuesday. Some of us, it doesn't even take till after lunch. We want our nap and our kids won't shut up at lunch. We just want to go. Right? My kids got me a hammock. For Father's Day early, because I always get my presents early. You guys know this about me, because I pay for them anyway. But all I wanted to do was take a little nap. But I have a mini-me that is exactly like me, and all he wants to do is snuggle. But his form of snuggling is very active movement, right? And so I didn't get that nap. I don't know what this has to do with anything. But like that could, that could happen. I could lose my joy in the Lord in that moment. right? So it doesn't take much for me to forget who my treasure is. And so that's why we go to this well over and over again. Because he is the well that never runs dry, we sang together today. So we serve a God who gives. And he's going to give over and over again. And guess what? That's all we're going to give you. What application, though, do we take from this sacred story? Are you ready for this? Everybody wants an application. What do we do with this? Here's the first one. Give what you want. And I just want us to think about Reservoir and our current um, existence at this moment as we are searching for a new place to gather and do ministry together. And I have to tell you that I increasingly, um, I think the Lord has given me an increasing sense that a first-tier goal for us in this transition is to raise $100,000, right? It's more than half of our annual budget. But it's to raise that or to accumulate that, not for comfort, but for ministry, that we can change a space, that we can serve our community, that we can continue to serve families with kids with special needs, where we could reach invisible populations in our city, where we could be used for renewal as a church in a space. And we, and we might, you know, the elders, we have our meeting in June. They may say, no, nah, no, nah, we're not going to do that. But we might get more official and have a little capital campaign and go after that. I think it's a good goal for us to start with. But the truth is that no matter what we're aspiring to, you need to know that you can give what you want. 
But make it in response to what you have been given in Jesus. Because that's how the New Testament paints this picture for us. You have tremendous freedom. You are in charge of your own gifts that the Lord has given you. His provision. So you can give what you want. Please, for the sake of your soul, give in response to what he has given to you. But more so than that... Make Jesus your portion. Receive him. Commit to being settled in him. His desire for you is so great. Now, he did not, like, I am going to die for a generic group of people who may or may not one day believe in me. He went to the cross knowing it was for you. He purchased you. He's given us a covenant of salts. That's an eternal covenant forever. The covenant by his blood, your redemption, your rescue, your life, your hope for eternity. Own it. Friends, we live to mine what's behind the models, what's behind the imagery, the stories. And I have to tell you, it is Jesus. May we be true to that, true to him forever. The psalmist says, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have been. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. We serve a God who gives. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Saints, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen.